Romans chapter 15. Again, Paul is, is winding down this letter to the church in Rome. And as we've mentioned, Paul's never visited Rome. He hasn't been there. His, it's his heart's desire. And as we move through the last part of chapter 15 into chapter 16, he, he, un, he talks about that some more, that it's his desire. And he believes that he will eventually get there. And he does. Not as the way he thought. He'll get there as a prisoner of Rome. Uh, but even, even in that, he says, I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. And that is what brings him there. But we'll, we'll see and we'll unfold that a little bit. But he's never met them, most of them. I mean, no, no doubt he's probably come in contact with a few of them. But this letter that he has written to them from his heart and sharing with them some amazing truths. I mean, we, Romans is one of those books that we as Christians should be reading in and studying through regularly. And I've been blessed as we've gone through this together. And many people look at uh, verse 13 of chapter 15 as kind of the, 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 the benediction, as if you would. As Paul kind of brings it all together and kind of as this, like he's kind of signing off in verse 13, but then just like any pastor can't stop when he says, hey, we're, we're winding it down, you know, and he keeps on going just a little bit further again because, the, you know, as the Holy Spirit moves and he continues to unfold. But we left off in verse 13 last week, and I want to kind of jump back there real quick as a sending off point for us as we study through 14 and following this morning. Notice again, it says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we touched on this last week, but again, as, as, as uh, repeating that in a, a starting point this morning, again, the God of hope, the God of all hope. And again, when we talk of biblical hope, and when you talk of New Testament Christian hope, it's not hope like the world has, that is wishful thinking. No, our hope as born-again believers, because the Spirit of God lives within us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, we have this knowing with absolute assurance that what awaits us, what the promises that God has made to us are true, because he is faithful. And we know these things, and we can hold on to this, and he is the God of all hope. And notice this, and again, I love this, fill you with all joy and peace. That's God's job. That's what he does. We have this hope, the God of hope that he gives us, and he fills us with joy and peace. Our job, he tells us, in believing, we need to receive in faith. Our job, our call as Christians is to walk by faith. Our job as Christians, by the way, and this is maybe the harder part for you and me, and me at times, is to wait by faith. <laughs> that, that we're called sometimes when we look around us and we see, man, this, this doesn't look real peaceful. God says, you just wait in my peace. Wait in the hope that I am pouring out into you. Notice this again, in believing so that you will abound in hope. We talked of that last week, abounding, overflowing in hope. When we receive in faith what God promises to us, in hope, in peace, in joy. Guys, we abound in hope. And notice, and this is the key, and we're going to keep coming back to this this whole, this whole morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't try to do it. Don't try to manufacture it. I have to confess, that is something that I struggle with all the time because I'm trying to constantly make something happen. Guys, if I made it happen, it's not going to work. It's not going to last. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we talked of that Greek word last week, dunamis. 
that is, that is translated power there. And we get dynamic and dynamite and other words from that. But again, when we're talking about, again, New Testament dunamis, we're talking about power that is unstoppable. You know, we, we think of dynamite, that has limited power. Guys, God's power is unlimited. And that is what we talk about here. And Paul, again, challenging us as Christians as to, we talked of this last week, how we are to walk. And that is by the Spirit, by this all-powerful Holy Spirit in us. But then we talked last week, too, touching on it, where we are to walk. And we looked at First John with that. We are to walk in the light as he is in the light. Paul now picks up in verse 14 after kind of, like I said, giving kind of this sign off. And then it's like almost like he feels like, okay, but I need to address you again very specifically, church in Rome and us here today, church at Calvary Chapel Surprise. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Paul says, I am absolutely convinced. I am persuaded that you guys are full of goodness, that you're filled with knowledge, and that, and that you truly do admonish one another. And it says, and I mentioned that at the beginning, again, to make the point, how does Paul know that? He's never been there. He hasn't visited the church. He hasn't been a guest speaker on occasion at the church in Rome. He's never been there. He's only met a few of them. Well, the answer, it tells us all the way back in chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says, you guys are famous for this. The word of your faith is, it's around the world. People know about the faith of the church in Rome. And it wasn't because their church was the biggest church. It wasn't because they were, they were packing out the Colosseum. It's because of their faith. It's because they did things that were impossible because of their faith. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, the unstoppable God, and God was using them in incredible ways. And that word spread throughout the world. And he says, I'm convinced of it. That word convinced, the author of Hebrews uses in chapter 6, verse 9, where he says, we're convinced of better things concerning you, the things that accompany salvation. They come along with, not produce salvation. Again, we know that is a born again when, a, when a, a dead heart, a dead sinner receives the Lord Jesus, born again to new life, a new creation. That is, that is what salvation is. But there's evidence of salvation. There is things that accompany salvation. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Notice he says, first of all, full of goodness. First of all, just that word full, interesting, means full. It means, it means it's, John uses this, this word in, in chapter 21 when Jesus is speaking to the disciples from the, from the shore, remember? And the disciples are out in the boat. It's after the resurrection. They don't know it's Jesus. And he says, hey, how you guys been doing? How's, how's the fishing been? Been fishing all night. Haven't caught anything. <laughs> Try the other side of the boat. They cast it in, and it says that they pull in such a haul of fish 153 fish, to be precise. John, John records the very number. 153 fish that are brought in. And if you've ever been to Israel, if you ever see how they fished back then with the nets, we're not talking about, you know, deadliest catch nets. I mean, massive things. We're talking about a net that one man throws out and then can pull back in. 153 fish. John was so amazed that he recorded in there, and the net didn't break. That's what full is. 
full to the point of where you look at it, you say, I should be bursting at the seams full and full of what? Goodness. Goodness. What type of goodness? I mean, that's another one of those words that we use in our English language. You know, this is good, that's good, you know, all of these other types of things. There's all these levels of, of goodness. No, what, what Paul is using here, as a matter of fact, the word's only used four times in the New Testament. And, and it means high moral character. It means a lifestyle that is, that is lived out following God's word. I mean, it's very, it's very specific with regard to that. It's not, it's not good to the world's standards. No, it's good to the, the standard that God sets. Jesus, you'll, you remember on the Sermon on the Mount, he got to the point where he said, you've heard it said this based on the old law. But I say to you, Jesus raised the bar. He didn't lower it. Full of goodness. And it's interesting when we look at where this word is used elsewhere, I think it just, again, enlightens us on how we too are filled with goodness. First of all, it's used in Galatians 5.22, which as most of you might know, is where it's describing the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Guys, again, it's not something we manufacture. It is a supernatural thing within us. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Again, remember last week how we walk? We don't do that on our own. That is the Holy Spirit's work within us. But guys, the, only, the Holy Spirit can only bear fruit in a life that is submitted to his will and his power. That is where our role comes in. We have to submit to that. We have to say, all right, your will be done, not mine. Your power, God, not mine. Secondly, I think we get a, a view of this, and it just parallels what we looked at last week. As a matter of fact, just keep your, your finger here and move over a couple of chapters to the book of Ephesians. 1 Corinthians directly follows Romans, then 2 Corinthians, Galatians, then Ephesians, chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 7, we saw that it is a, a result of the fruit of the Spirit. Notice also now, Paul tells us, as he writes to the church in Ephesus, verse 7, Therefore, do not be partakers with them, the sons of disobedience, the, the world around. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And notice verse 9, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, there's our word again, and righteousness and truth. The, not only the fruit of the Spirit, but here we see in verse 9, the fruit of the light. As we walk in the light, as he is in the light, verse 10, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Verse 14, for this reason it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Same today. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
The fruit of the light, again, walking in the light. This is where we are to walk. Learn what is pleasing to the Lord. We touched on this last week. And I think it's just a beautiful picture that John paints for us. And here, Paul, we're walking in the light. We're walking where he's walking. We're looking to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. And as we do, we'll notice and we'll see things that, that are in him that are not yet, that I'm not yet doing. That there's things in my life that are not yet Christ-like. And it's when, we, when the Lord reveals those things to us that we confess those things. We lay them down. And when we lay those things down, there's more room for us to be filled with goodness, filled with the things that he desires for us. We talked of last week, the, we had celebrated communion together. And if you were here, you know we talked about the cups, right? And the exchange of the cups, where we get the cup of blessing. He took the cup of wrath. He drank it all entirely for us. And when we speak of the, of the will of the Lord, we see that in the garden. Remember, Jesus prayed that. He says, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, your will be done. And guys, understand this. When we embrace the will of God for our lives, when we embrace it, and it tells us to know that, we can know the will of God for us. When we embrace the will of God for our lives, on the other side of that obedience is joy unspeakable. And we see that even in the garden prayer that Jesus prayed because he said, let this cup pass for me. Not my will be done though, your will be done. It was settled in Gethsemane that he was going on with the Father's will. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He, he battled through that in prayer. He surrendered to the will of the Father. And when he did that, the Father placed that joy ahead of him. And it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Joy unspeakable. The fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of light, and if you will allow me, the fruit of prayer. The other place where this word is used is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 11, it says, To this end also we pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling, and notice, and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Fulfill every desire for goodness. Can I challenge you on two areas of prayer? First of all, prayer for yourself, that you would take your desires before God and say, if any of these desires are not pleasing to you, Lord, change them. Change the desire of my heart. And we can, we can deceive ourselves at times to think that, that oh, this, this is pleasing to God. When, when it's, but when it's held up to what he absolutely desires for us, we, we sometimes settle for good as we might define it, and fall so far short of the good as he would define it. And if we would be willing to just say, God, if this desire, even though I think it's great, even though I think it's totally honoring you, if it's not, would you change that? So that's challenge number one for ourselves, but then challenge for one another. Notice he says in here, to this end, we pray always for you. Pray for each other that way. That if there's something that's not there, that, that's, that's, a, that's a wrong desire, 
Lord, would you change that desire in them? Because then when our desire is for goodness, notice, fulfill every desire for goodness. That's God's heart. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be satisfied. Oh, that our hearts would desire that that we would truly, passionately hunger and thirst for righteousness. We will be satisfied. God, God tells us in his word that if that's our goal, if that's our aim, he, he, he's delighted to fill that. As a matter of fact, it tells us, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The first thing he gives you is his desire in your heart. And then you respond in prayer and delight yourself in the Lord for that. Say, okay, Lord, that wasn't what I had in mind, but obviously it's a much better thing. Your will, not mine. He loves to bless that. Full of goodness. Notice also, filled with all knowledge. That word knowledge there is, is just the simple Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge. But obviously, we understand what he's talking about here isn't book knowledge, isn't just getting smarter and smarter and smarter. No, he's talking about, again, here, something supernatural. Because, again, remember, all of this has to do with the power of the Holy Spirit, knowledge of God. I love one of my favorite chapters in, in the Bible is 2 Peter chapter 1. And Peter writes this at the beginning, verse 2 and 3, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, I want to stop right there for just a moment because I love God's math. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, first of all, what is God's resources for grace? Is there a limit? No, okay, so it's infinite grace. Is there a limit to his peace? No, it's infinite peace, and it's not peace like the world gives. Jesus said, my peace, my peace is not like the world gives. It's a peace that passes understanding, and it's infinite. So if we have an infinite reservoir of grace and peace, and you take all that you possibly can out of that, how much is left? An infinite amount. Okay, so that's what we're starting with. All right, anybody good at math? Multiplication? Okay, it says that God deals in multiplication. So let's do this math problem together. Infinite grace times infinite peace equals what? blow your mind <laughs> now look at this look at look it tells us uh, does anybody not want that just just real quick no don't want infinite grace and infinite peace multiplied in your life okay so let's find out where we get it it says here in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord guys the Bible tells us he is able to do abundantly beyond what we could ask or think not marginally more abundantly and he tells us here, it comes through the knowledge of him, seeing that his divine power, again, there's that word, dunamis, his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, notice here, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Knowledge of God, knowledge of his ways, knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Now, when it says filled with all knowledge, we know that he's not talking about that we can reach a point someday where we understand and know everything about him. That's impossible. If he, Isaiah 55, 8, and 9 deals with that. You know, his ways are so much higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways and his thoughts above ours. 
But we also discussed this back in chapter 11, where Paul writes in verse 33 there, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. It's, we'll never get to that, but that's not what Paul is speaking of here. He's talking about everything that God reveals to us, everything that God shows to us. And so often we cut ourselves short of that. Guys, every day God wants to meet with you. Every day God wants to reveal more of himself to you. That's why prayer and, and personal devotional time are so important. I can't tell you how many times I've just been so blessed by a little, a little gem that God gives me as I'm reading through his word in the morning. Or as my wife and I, Christine and I, are having our coffee time in the morning, and she'll share with me what God had revealed to her the previous day. And just such a blessing as God unfolds more and more of himself to us. Colossians. Chapter 2 tells us here, again, how he reveals, not just through the word of God and, again, the spirit of God, but notice here, attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Walking in the light as he is in the light. How sweet it is to walk with Jesus and to, and to, to pray with your, with your Bible open as you're reading and to hear from the Lord, having him speak directly to our hearts. Deal with this, do this, talk to that person, go this way. And again, as we are obedient, we find joy unspeakable at the end of this. Please understand this. This is absolute foolishness to the world outside. And it was foolishness to you and I before we were born again. I mean, we, even people that acknowledge there's a God that we could actually hear from that God. Did anybody else see that in the news this week? About how, how somebody with, within some news media organization calling, saying that our vice president needs mental help because he hears from, the, he hears from God and responds as God tells and leads him. Oh, that our entire government would hear from God and do what God, that God tells them. <laughs> but bottom line, we can't expect the world to understand it. God in his own word tells us that it's foolishness to them. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But oh, how sweet it is. For those who have the gift of eternal life, you and I as born-again believers, that we can go to almighty, all-powerful God and hear from him anytime we're willing to. Anytime that we're willing to hear from him. So often I, I talk to people, I'm just not hearing from God. Okay, there, there's several possibilities with that, but the main two are God just wants you to press in closer. But secondly, and I think this comes into play more often, I'm going for a specific answer. Sometimes I'm going, I'm going, okay, God, I got multiple choice here. <laughs> and here's, here's the way. When it comes to multiple choice, when it takes, it takes it to God, it's okay. As long as one of them is none of the above. <laughs> because bottom line, we need to go and say, God, what is it that you want? Because I think, I think A, B, C, and D are good. But God says, I got gooder, E, none of the above. 
And it's through that as we surrender to that that he speaks to us and he talks to us and he reveals himself more and more to us. And one last thing on this before we move on to the next point that Paul makes is that he's, he's super excited about what's going on at the church in Rome. But guys, it has to be with love. It has to be. Because this word knowledge, it tells us, Paul, Paul addresses that other places. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. He says, you can have all of that you want. You don't have love combined with it. It's nothing. He tells us in, in the, the letter also to 1 Corinthians, this time in chapter 8, he says, love puffs up. Love, or I'm sorry, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge has the ability to make us proud. Man, I'm, I know God. Man, he is speaking to me every day. <laughs> Puffing up. It says, love edifies. Love encourages. And guys, that's so important because notice what it tells us here. Able to admonish. Now, this cool, as this continues to unfold, that word able is the Greek word dunamai. Right from the word we're talking dunamis, right? Power, able to, not anything we can do ourselves. Through, through being filled with goodness as he guides and directs, filled with knowledge of him, again, surrounded with love, we then have the power, the, the divine power to admonish, to encourage to strengthen, to come alongside, to instruct, to correct. That's what that word all means. One another. Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God, filled with the Holy Spirit. The word of Christ richly dwelling in you. That's when we're able to do this. And guys, it's so important. It is so important because, again, we live in very difficult times. Every single one of us day to day deals with battles and struggles because, just because we live in a fallen world. We're not called to be lone ranger Christians. We need to do this together. We need to come alongside one another. We need to encourage each other. I, I love in the book of Acts, Barnabas, you know, it's a son of encouragement. How many of you, been, how many of you have been blessed by somebody encouraging you when you needed it? It's like every hand, right? I mean, when you're down and you're struggling to have somebody come alongside you and say, hey, let's get up. Let's get up. I'll, I'll help you up. I'll, I'll walk with you through this. Guys, encouragement is so important. But also understand, encouragers are needed, but so are exhorters. Those that say, okay, you're up. Now let's get moving. Move on. I don't know about you, but I, sometimes I like to get just stuck in that little, oh, it feels so good right here. <laughs> you need that push. And that's where, again, filled with, filled with goodness and, and knowledge and the Holy Spirit and love, able to encourage and admonish and exhort one another. Paul says, man, I'm absolutely convinced of this with you. Notice verse 15, though. But <laughs> there's that word again. And there, as we talk a lot, there's good buts, there's bad buts. I think this is kind of one of those neutral buts. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Again, he's saying, I've heard all of this stuff. You're doing great, but. 
And what I hear in that, and again, we'll get to the point he makes very specifically in a moment, but with that, as he wrote to the church in, in Thessalonica, don't get comfortable there. Keep going. He writes this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, same, same tone that he has with the church here in Rome. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, you're doing it. You're responding. You're doing what we told you, that you excel still more. Keep going. Keep following. And again, as we do that, God reveals more and more of himself to us. He, he points out other areas in our lives that we continually need to work on and bring to him. But he also, Paul tells us here in, in Romans 15, that this is a reminder. Guys, we all need reminders. And, well, I shouldn't say that. Does anybody else need to be reminded from time to time? I mean, I, 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 we all have electronic devices. We all have all of this stuff because we need to remember things. And my problem is I, I have a tendency to remember certain things, the things I'm supposed to forget. And I forget the things I'm supposed to remember. And that's what Paul, if we look at the entire book of Romans, like I said, back in verse 8, he talked about how great their faith is and how famous they are because of their faith. And then he spends all the rest of these chapters going back to the very beginning and, and working all the way through this and then coming to through Romans 8 and all of this type of stuff to get to where we are and now talking about how we're to walk. And now he's saying, guys, you're doing it. But this is a reminder to you. Kind of interesting spring training just starting right now and pitchers and catchers reporting. And, and if you watch the drills, they go back to stuff that as a pitcher and a catcher, you learned when you played peewee baseball. But they go through it all again. Reminder, continually reminding, even though I know it, I know it. And I, I have this conversation with my kids all the time. I tell them to do something. I know, Dad. I know you know, but this is a reminder. Peter said the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. Paul speaks here of the grace given to him. Paul looked at it, the ministry that God had given him, the very specific ministry to take the gospel to the Gentiles. He looked at that as a gift. God had given him this gift. Even, even though it was going to cost him so much, Jesus said, I will show him all the things he must suffer for my sake. Paul looked at all of that as a gift. Because God would entrust him with that. That God would empower him to do this. That God would consider him a servant. That minister of, of Christ Jesus, that word literally means servant. Paul, as he opens up most of his letters, says, I, Paul, a slave of the Lord Jesus. He was proud of that. That Jesus, that Jesus was his master and he was the slave. He uses this term interestingly. And I just want to highlight it because it's not just for him. He says here, a priest, a priest of the gospel. We know that the priesthood of the old covenant of the Old Testament was replaced by Jesus, the perfect and eternal high priest. Hebrews tells us that. But again, I go to 1 Peter this time, chapter 2, to get a little bit more of a picture again, because understand what our role in this priesthood is. 
you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, there's a whole lot in that verse, but if you will allow me just just a second to touch on this. Guys, all of it's a picture, everything pointing to Jesus. We talked about that, the sacrificial system and all of those things pointing to Jesus. But guys, we have a role in this New Testament priesthood. There is not the official office no longer of the earthly priesthood, but Believers are priests, a holy priesthood. That's what we are called to do. The priests were the servants. They were the ones in in the temple offering up the sacrifices. And we'll get to the sacrifices in in a moment. But the temple, Peter tells us here that we are being built up. The temple was replaced by the community of believers. Us being built up together, this spiritual house. Again, the animal sacrifices fulfilled by Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But guys, we are called to have our lives be a living sacrifice. Chapter 12, verse 1, we looked at that. And our worship is a, is a sacrifice to God. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. One thing that stays the same in all of it is that in order for a sacrifice to be pleasing to God, it needs to be sanctified. It needs to be set apart. It needs to be holy. And it tells us again how that's done. Notice again, by the Holy Spirit. It's not in in and of ourselves to be able to do that. Well, verse 17, Paul writes this, therefore, because of this, In Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. Paul speaking again here about the gospel, about his call to take the gospel out, evangelism. If you'll remember back in chapter one, he talked about this thing. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power, dunamis, of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone. That's why he just, again, the Lord calls him to this. That's why he went out. That's why he he did what he did because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And everyone needs it. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Outside of the the gospel of God, we are all helpless and hopeless and face a life of of eternal wrath, the wrath of God in hell forever. That is why salvation is so important. And again, Paul spent chapters talking about that. He would later say, whoever will call upon the Lord will be saved. Whoever will call upon the Lord will be saved. But then he said, how will they call on him whom they haven't believed? And, and how are they going to believe if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear 
unless somebody tells them. And how is somebody going to go tell them unless they're sent? And we looked at that again together, but because bottom line, guys, we're all sent. This isn't, this isn't just about Paul, guys. This is about us. This is about all of our calls as Christians. And I think that there are some important things that we can take away from Paul speaking of his call that we need to make sure are, are right in our lives, are right in our ministry as we go out. First of all, notice that there is nothing personal to boast in. Absolutely nothing. If you were to just take verse 17, if I find for boasting these things pertaining to God, you might say, well, Paul's boasting there, but you got to keep reading. Verse 18, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. He takes no credit for himself, none at all. He just said, I'm just simply a tool in the master's hands. I deserve as much credit for the gospel as a hammer does for that building over there. The hammer is absolutely worthless unless it's in the hand of a master craftsman, somebody who, who knows how to wield it and to use it. The only thing is what Christ is doing through me. There's no room for pride. If there, and I don't know about you, I have a tendency to kind of put Paul up on this pedestal. But then I have to realize that without Christ filling Paul, without, without Christ using Paul, Paul would be just like any of us, any ordinary man, anybody. The only thing that made Paul special was Jesus. That's the only thing that makes any of us special is Jesus using us. 1 Corinthians one thirty one. let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's it. Paul says in Galatians 6.14, the only boast I have is in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing I can boast in. Secondly, notice in the second half of verse 18, guys, our walk has to match our talk. Words and deeds. There is no room for hypocrisy. There's no room for self-righteousness. There has been so much damage done to the gospel because of that. Not living out what we profess. We tell people that this is what they are to do. This is how we're to follow. This is how we're to live. And then we're living a different life. And they look and they say, you're no different than the rest of the world. As we have to be different, our walk has to match our talk. But here we come again, beginning of verse 19. In the power of signs and wonders, in the power, dunamis, of the Holy Spirit. We have to rely totally, totally on the power of the Holy Spirit. Guys, we have this message. It's been given to us, the gospel message, to take out to the world. And we have to understand that we have one role to play in that, and that is obedience. Period. So much we, we look for. We are not called to be successful as evangelists. We're called to be obedient. Success is measured by and produced by the Holy Spirit. Period. Turn over, just, you only have to flip over maybe a page or two. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I find this, I, I'm blessed by this every time I read it because I, 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 this is one of those things that I forget that I need to be reminded of. Because again, here's Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. It, didn't, it wasn't because he was such an eloquent speaker or because of all the wisdom that he had. Notice, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you 
in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Does anybody else get nervous when you feel that you're supposed to share the gospel with somebody? You ever, you ever get uneasy, you kind of feel like, okay, God's leaning me to talk to this person at work or to share my faith with them, and you get, you get nervous? You're in good company. Look at verse 3. This is Paul. And might I remind you, Corinth was not his first stop. He'd been doing this for a long time by the time he got to Corinth, and he still said, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom. So often we think, well, you know what? I need to go to an evangelism explosion class, and I need to do some, some role-playing a whole bunch of times, and then I'll, I'll, I'll witness to the guy in the cubicle next to me. No. You know why that is? Not that those things are bad in and of themselves, but they're going to start relying on you. You're going to start rehearsing and start going through all of this and, and say, okay, I got to say this. I got to say it in this order. I got to say it in this way. I got to ask this question. I got to, no, no, look, he says, I didn't do that, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, the Holy Spirit, guys, our call is to be obedient. When God lays it on your heart to talk to that person, talk to him, say a quick prayer and talk to him and rely on the Holy Spirit. Notice, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. That is so important. Their faith is not based on the wisdom of men. Guys, whatever I can talk you into, the whole, the, the, Satan can talk you out of faster. But if it's the Holy Spirit, regenerating, born again, that is sealed forever. Signs and wonders, back to this again, power of the Holy Spirit, power of signs and wonders. Can I just say, if you are here today and you are not a believer and you're saying, show me a miracle, I want to see a miracle and then I'll believe, no, you won't. No, you won't. The Bible is full of examples of that. Jesus did multitudes of miracles and people still walked away from him. They crucified him. You want to see a miracle today? Give your life to Jesus. Because the greatest miracle is a born-again life. So much, so much weight is put on this, you know, power of signs and wonders. Guys, again, the greatest miracle is somebody who was an enemy of God becoming a child of God. That's the greatest miracle. The power of the gospel is demonstrated in transformed lives. Lastly, relying on the Holy Spirit, go where you are sent. Do what you are called to do. Don't look at others. Don't, don't try to match up with others. God has a specific plan for each and every one of us. So often we can say, well, I want to do what they're doing, or how come I'm not involved in that, or whatever. No, do, do what you're called to do. Do your job. Don't, don't look around. So often we can get, this can be such a, such a, Difficult, even part of this, I've heard people say, you know, Paul didn't, Paul didn't build on another foundation of what somebody else built. What are you doing this? What are you doing, you know, and that type of thing. That's not what Paul's speaking against. Paul is talking about that's what my call was. Paul was called to be an evangelist. Paul was called to go city to city and plant churches, and he didn't even wait till the worship team was established before he moved on. That's, that was his specific call. What's yours? 
What is God specifically calling you to do? Paul was called, he, he gives us this demographic region that he covered that was over 1,400 miles. And he did it all on foot or by boat. That's where he was called. Where's God calling you? Because that's, that's really what we need to grab a hold of here. Guys, this was Paul. What is it for me? What is it for you? Where is he calling you? What is he calling you to do? And I want to come back around and, and challenge us all in this because, guys, this is not natural. This is not something that we can do in and of ourselves. We are called as Christians to take this gospel message out, to impact the world. Where is your mission field? That's why we have that. That's why we have those signs. If you haven't noticed them, when you drive out of the parking lot, it says you are now entering the mission field. It might be right next door to you. It might be at the supermarket. It might be at, at school or, or where you work. It might, be there. it might be on the other side of the country. It might be on the other side of the world. And if that scares you, let me just say this. If that's God's will for you, you'll find joy there that you could never find anywhere else. You will find fulfillment there that you could never find anywhere else. But it's, it's, it's got to be a God thing. Jesus says this, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Guys, we all have a role to play. We are not all called to be evangelists, but we are all called to be witnesses. What does that mean for you? I don't know. Where does that mean for you? I don't know. But if you earnestly seek God, he will tell you. He will show you. Again, it's the Holy Spirit. Guys, this, we're talking again. I come back to it. Started with it, finishing with it. Holy Spirit power. And I want you to just, just give me 30 more seconds. Imagine what God could do with us if we all said yes. Whatever that was that we would let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts this morning and respond. That we would put down any preconceived ideas that we had, any ideas that this is the plan for the rest of my life, and we just say, okay, Lord, that's great if it lines up with your plan. If not, I am willing to let you say, scrap that, got a different plan. Now, I'm not saying that all of us are going to pack up next week and go to Africa. <laughs> I, do, I do pray that God works on somebody's heart to go somewhere. I'd love to send some missionaries out from this church. But guys, we're all called to be missionaries in our own neighborhoods, in our own workplaces, in our own homes, if needed. Would you please stand with me? And I want to ask, we're, we're going we're gonna to pray and we're going to sing one final song together. I'd like to ask that nobody leave as we do this. I want to ask that you allow the Holy Spirit to move and to work here in these next few minutes. And if God might be placing on your heart and, and moving in your heart in a certain area, whether that be even going back to the beginning, full of goodness, and you realize that there's something in your life that's blocking that, that goodness to be filled into you, deal with that. Walk in the light as he's in the light, he'll show you. Deal with that. But if you, if you desire a, a fresh anointing, a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
I'd, I'd even ask if, if so prompted that you'd come on up front and let us pray with you. We'll have pastors and elders and leaders up here. We'd like that opportunity to pray with you. I believe that God wants to do something in our day. And my prayer continually is, God, okay, why not us? Why not here? Why not, why not right now? But we have to be willing participants. Again, the Holy Spirit is eager, eager to pour himself out. But we have to be willing to receive whatever it is that we have from him. So again, multiple choice. Leave none of the above there. Let's pray and then let's, let's sing together and let's let God do what he wants to do here as we've closed this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you first and foremost again. We're here only because of you. We're here only because you have redeemed us, that you have paid our sin debt. Lord, we ask this morning that you would do a special work in and among us. Holy Spirit, that you would, that you would find hearts ready to receive whatever it is that you have for us. If you're here today and you've never made Jesus Lord of your life, I, I encourage you to open the door for that this morning. Again, a supernatural thing. God, would you, would you do what only you can do? So often we limit ourselves to what we think is possible. Lord, would you do the impossible here even today? Because you are almighty God. Have your way. In Jesus' name.